AP critic Bob Thomas called the original film in this franchise entertainment that propels the audience inexorably from one excitement to the next. Rob Ball of Mania.com described its sequel as batshit insane. People Magazine's Ralph Novak said of the third in the series, In this imperfect world, you're not likely to see many man-made objects come this close to perfection. And when it came to the fourth installment in this vaunted franchise, Esquire's Stephen Garrett noted that it carries its legacy with a sort of I still got it bravado that makes you smile at its AARP filmmakers rather than pity them. On this episode of Ruined Childhoods, we discuss the legacy of Indiana Jones. Greetings, Starfighters. It's Rune Childhood's time. I hope that everybody has had a week filled with adventures and excitement and whips and snakes. And maybe not snakes. Maybe not snakes. Maybe maybe not whips. Maybe not snakes. But maybe metaphorical whips and snakes. <laughs> whatever they have been. We hope that you have that you have outrun the metaphorical boulder in yeah. your life. Yeah. That is, well, I, I have because, um, well, I was just telling, telling John here that That's me. my, uh, my grades and I'm Dan, by the way, <laughs> if you just, I don't know, randomly, like you thought you downloaded something else and you're listening to this now. Um, so I teach, I'm a high school teacher and of course all of our grading systems have moved online and we we have our digital grade books and the people you know the the young hip teachers like me do everything digitally and our district software has been down for the past several days so my finalized grade deadline has been pushed back which i do i plan not i had planned on having them done by the original deadline and and probably still will but it just feels normally it's like 11:50 p.m. when the deadline is midnight and I'm 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 like putting the last comments in like you know so pleasure I, to have in class I didn't know that you filed your grades using the same system that they used at the Iowa caucus <laughs> topical humor wow it's yes. topical. It makes sense when this episode comes out. Man, imagine if it had been in Indiana and not Iowa. But if we were only would have been slightly so more lucky. more appropriate. But Iowa, yeah, man. All right, so we have a win. But the winner, the the I guess now we think that as of uh, the recording of this on February fifth, two thousand twenty, our wit our projected winner. Uh, Mayor Pete Buttigieg of South Bend, Indiana. Indiana. That's right. Is it wait? Is it South Bend or North Bend? South Bend. I screwed up. So, it is South Bend. No. Okay. So so yeah. there, there we go. So interesting. So anyway, but the I yes the Iowa caucuses and the 
Seattle Public School District software are about equally effective this week. Mm. And um, so, you know, it's it's a matter of it's just kind of not feeling that. I don't know that pressure that makes me rush through things because you have a lot of kids who turn stuff in last minute and usually they turn it in last minute. And I just kind of I, I, I can't give them the feedback. I don't have time to sit there and give them the feedback that I want to give them. So now I have that time and I can actually give some substantial feedback. Well, Dan, while you were fretting about your grading situation over this past week, I have been watching multiple Indiana Jones movies and also working on my passion project, which is which happens to be the song that was at the end of the last episode. It was a oh, very wow. yes, my- short-lived passion project, but it was uh it needed to be done. If you haven't heard it, please go back. It only makes sense if you listen to the entire episode. Yeah, and man, I really wish that I had been recording myself as I listened to that for the first time <laughs> after after the episode yeah, you know, had been uh, had been online, you know, all day and finally after work, I got to listen to it and the look on my face as I was walking home and hearing what I was hearing. And I just don't want to, I'm not going to be any more specific than that. I cannot ruin it. But just as everything came together, I had one of those Chaz Palminteri in front of the, uh, in front of the bulletin board at the end of usual suspects oh, yeah. moments where it was all when I, when I was, I was like, okay, well, I I know this the music I'm hearing, but what's what else is this? What I know it's not from the movie, but it's oh my <laughs> well goodness! And I I know we should stop talking about it because we have to be very vague. But like, I kind of like the way that it does work with everything put together. But while we're on the subject of our Easy Rider episode, let's do our End One More Thing segment and read this email from French Fry Phil that we got. Yeah, French Fry Phil has got one more thing about Easy Rider. So French Fry Phil writes, Okay, possibly a little long on this email, but according to Movie Maker Magazine via Wikipedia, Easy Rider was filmed in the first half of 1968 roughly between Mardi Gras and the assassination of Robert F. Kennedy, with production starting on February 22nd. So, the nine months later date range would be 11-22-1968 to 3-6-1969, give or take some early and late births. Here's your cast for the Secret Spawn of Fonda sequel. This is, by the way, referring to Dan's uh, idea that there would have been a child born from uh, a uh, an onset romance with Peter Fonda during the filming of Easy Rider. So uh, the cast choices and <laughs> wow, French fry Phil, very thorough with your research. So uh, born on November fifth, nineteen sixty eight, is Sam Rockwell. November 8th, 1968 is Parker Posey. 
Uh, November 10th, 68, Tracy Morgan. That would have been an interesting uh, uh, Peter Fonda love yeah. child. November 18th, Owen Wilson, a more believable, if we were going straight for like a Peter Fonda replicant. Clearly, yeah. someone else's DNA mixed in. It got Owen Wilson. <laughs> December 2nd, 68, Lucy Liu. December 3rd, 68, Brendan Fraser, who you don't have to convince us to get Brendan Fraser involved. My thoughts exactly when I when yeah. I read that. Um, the, the next batch is all 1969, so I'll just say January 14th, Jason Bateman. Love that. Uh, January 18th, Dave Batista. Very interesting choice. January 28th, both... Patton Oswalt and Mo Rocca. Very interesting. I once worked on a Mo Rocca commercial for Blackberry. Mo Rocca was in. And that tells you when that was. Right, exactly. It was in Central Park yeah. and it was a kind of a man on the street thing with Mo Rocca because that was a shtick. Uh, and then February yeah. 11th, Jennifer Aniston, who we have mentioned. So the timing works I, out. I. I, I and and I I like that. I, I also I have to pipe in here with uh, Parker Posey. I'm in favor of that. I'm a Absolutely. big Parker Posey fan, and I I can't recall the last time I saw her in something something new. And I would love like I I, I think that with Parker Posey and with Brendan Fraser, the Fraser the uh, the opportunity of this uh, of this type of role to to give them a spotlight and this would be like, it could be that type of like indie movie that, that gives that type of actor a, whether it's kind of puts them back in the spotlight, reminds you how great they are or, or just, I mean, Jennifer Aniston's, I feel like she's kind of on an upswing. Yeah. She's kind of always been, you know, putting around the good girl. I was did it, see is the that good what it girl. was called? Yeah. The good girl. Yeah, man. Great. She's so good in that. Is that the one with it's Steve Zahn? I think it's no, is it no, no, that's... no, the good is that yeah, the good girl. Oh no, that's was the with one. John, it was John with C. Most Riley. Def? No. No, it was with John John C. Riley, Jake Gyllenhaal. Oh, Jake Gyllenhaal. She works right. she works at like whatever, like the dollar store or the supermarket with Jake Gyllenhaal. She right, she did a lot of those really like small ones all around the same yeah, time. Yeah, I remember I, I remember seeing this one and yeah, it's totally in that like early 2000s indie yeah. f- you know, Fox Searchlight indie film, yeah. not renaissance, but I guess kind well, of a little bit, you know, since mid 90s. Well, anyway, so back just, to Yeah, I'm just going to quickly finish off back to Phil's French email. Fry Phil's list. Uh French Fry Phil's got just right now being like, ah, Dan, quit interrupting. March 1st is Javier Bardem, who you did mention. Uh, March 11th is Terrence Howard. Don't know if I love that one. Be- just because that guy, he peeves me, man. It's a shame because I love his performance in Hustle and Flow. Absolutely love Hustle and Flow. Just not a good but guy. Man, not a good guy. The stories I've heard. Yeah, yeah I know. Anyway, and then he sorry, suggests. And by the way, and then he suggests yeah. music by Dave Grohl, who was born January fourteenth, sixty nine. Uh, and I do think that Dave Grohl could totally pull off something like this. That is an excellent choice. Yeah. Dave Grohl, I think, would have the respect. Yes. For where that music comes from, mm-hmm. that I think Dave Grohl is a spot on yeah. choice, and uh, the. Director suggestion, 
uh, born on February 12th, 69, is Darren Aronofsky, which, sure, be very I would be interesting. Really, I mean, I would be interested in when seeing When it comes that. to, like, super trippy, like, really heady metaphorical stuff, these days, that's your guy. Well, I, but... Also, think about some of the sequences in Easy Rider. Think about the Mardi Gras sequence. And then think about think about Requiem for a Dream. Think about Pi. Right. Think about uh, think about, you know, the early Aronofsky stuff. I would love to see him. I would really love to see him get back to something like that. So man, I gotta I, I, I honestly I read that email and I was like, I feel like like I this is this is great. I felt yeah, inadequate. But you I'm know like, what? Man, French I gotta, Fry like... Phil hits it home with yeah. the potential title "Father" with a question mark, which would be appropriate since Aronofsky's last movie was Mother. That's exactly the 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 point. Mother with an exclamation okay, okay. point. Okay. Yes, that was the joke, <laughs> and French Fry Phil killed it. <laughs> Sorry, I just figured that out yeah. now. I was now years old when I figured that oh, out. I'm boy, sorry. Oh boy, oh boy. I, I, yeah, Do your I don't students like say things like that? No. Oh, no. Okay. No, they... Their slang sometimes is really... Yeah, sometimes... I remember a couple of years ago, it was slaps. Everything was slaps. That's slaps. slaps. Oh, oh, okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. But that could have been used in, in a good way. Like, like, hey, everyone, guess what? I canceled the test. Oh, that snaps. And then, oh, by the way, this is in Seattle, not in the Bronx. Um, oh, wait, you said that snaps? S-N-A-P-S? Slaps. Oh, slaps. S- slaps. Okay. I thought I heard slaps. an N in there. Okay. No, slaps. So, yeah, they would say that slaps. Or it would be like, uh, and the test is going to be next week, and it's going to be twice as long. Oh, that slaps. <laughs> you have to use the tone to infer the meaning. It's like... Uh, Aloha or Shalom, it has many meanings. Gotcha. So, yeah, slaps. I had another thought about Easy Rider, something that was on my oh. mind before we recorded last time, but that just didn't come up, is that, uh, of course, we we lost Peter Fonda last year, and uh, it it's important to recognize his uh, political views and his outspoken political takes uh, he was under fire for kind of uh, claiming that Baron Trump should have been locked in a cage, uh, you know, with all of the immigration and uh, deportation and um, the kids in the cages. Like, that was his response to it, which I love that he is still, you know, sticking it to the was, man. Yep. Uh, and clearly his uh, sister... Jane Fonda is, you know, oh. she is very outspoken about political beliefs. But I, what I wanted to... When was the last time she was arrested? Wasn't she arrested? Like, like she was... Sally Field was arrested? Well, it's, it's hard to say because we're recording this a few days before this episode comes out. So it might happen again in between the time that we're recording and this I'm episode for, comes out. For the most recent, it looks like she was arrested uh, this past December... And but that but like had been arrested the month before that. Like if you look up Jane Fonda arrested, the articles. Let's see, December twenty nineteen, November twenty nineteen. Yeah. So yeah, way to go, like Jane Fonda and Sally Field. Yeah, 
using totally. using the fact that they have a voice. Oh yeah, and they're getting a lot of other people involved too. So I uh, I think that it's really great to know that Peter Fonda is was still kind of the same person, I guess politically that he was back in the '60s. Uh, Dennis Hopper, on the other hand, was a Republican. And it's hard to say where he would have stood, you know, these days, considering he passed away a little, quite some time ago. But he voted for Obama only because he didn't like Sarah Palin. So I think that that's why he didn't vote for McCain. Uh, it was mostly because of Sarah Palin and, and ended up going for Obama. So it's kind of like it's hard to say where he would stand on political party affiliation these days but it's interesting to me that he veered in that direction so that's anyway i just wanted yeah. to toss that out there because this movie easy rider was i mean so big into counterculture and oh yeah yeah and the idea of what it means to be american and um right i, I don't know so and, but to and to be fair to Easy Rider, and to to give a lot of credit to Easy Rider, it was a bit. It was kind of equally critical. It was kind of. Sure. It was just. It wasn't even. It, it it wasn't even critical. Just showed. This was how these guys saw things, and mm-hmm. this was how others saw them. Yeah. So. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, Dennis Hopper's career definitely took a lot of different turns and who's to say what happened in his personal life that would have maybe altered views on one thing or another. But it was a little surprising to me when I saw that he was, I don't know, a vocal member of the Republican party, but it gave me uh, a little bit of, he hadn't lost his way with the 2008 election. Anyway. Right. Moving Moving on, unless you had anything else to talk about with Easy Rider. I do not. Do we get into I'm ready to ride on. Indiana Jones? Yes, we do. This Is this the first time that we've done one where it's like an entire universe of, like an entire property? Because I know we've done series of movies. Like we've talked about, right, like like Gremlins where there's a one and a two or like a weekend Right, but we were focusing mostly on, yeah. Yeah, no, this, we really, we really haven't. We focused on the fourth parts in right. franchises, yeah. but not, but we did not focus on the fourth part in the Indiana Jones franchise. That is very true. Probably very much intentionally, as well, I that's believe so. To I be think this avoided. is. We knew this day would come. Yeah. So uh, I'm just going to start off by giving a. Brief synopsis for anybody who's unfamiliar with just the the property of Indiana Jones in general. Just a quick little overview of his situation. Uh, Indiana Jones splits his time between teaching archaeology at Marshall University in the United States and traveling the world in search of historical and religious artifacts. Uh, the more exciting of the two typically begins with a mission set forth by his colleague Marcus Brody. Uh, though we don't learn in the movies how it all necessarily began and uh, some of the other figures who maybe set him on his other missions. The movies, I believe, all start with him in the middle of a mission, uh, so it's hard to say how those all began. 
Jones's adventures take him to the world's most dangerous places in search of objects that are heavily guarded by swarm protectors, booby traps, even spirits from the beyond. And also he's terrified of snakes. And uh, through, well, I guess in his life as a professor, he's quite modest and frequently dodges advances of his admiring students. He is quite the Lothario once he's on a mission. Dan, do you have anything that you want to add to just that portion, a, a, a general overview of what Indiana Jones is all about as a person? As as a person, as a man, as a series, as a franchise, well, it's important to note that the the character and the the films, at least the first first film, are inspired by the the old adventure movies, right? The old serial adventures that George Lucas would go see and Steven Spielberg. And they like not together as children, but in their right. own in in their own spaces, uh, took these films in and much as, and then so George Lucas, as Star Wars was about to open in 1977, took a trip to Hawaii. Steven Spielberg joined him there, and when as soon as the as soon as they got news of the. I guess the opening night estimates for Star Wars and Lucas figured he could relax. They started talking about ideas and Spielberg. Spielberg was like, man, I would love to direct a James Bond movie. And Lucas was like, hey, wait a second. I got I'll do you one better. Right. How about how about like an old school like adventure? Yeah. Serial. And this is an idea that George Lucas had come up with years prior with a character named Indiana Smith. That uh, right. was actually uh, named after his dog. <laughs> his dog and, and the Nevada Smith was a, was a James Stewart Western, oh, yeah? I think. Yeah. Yeah. So it's kind of an idea that's been brewing for a while. And then when the two of them got talking, it really developed and took shape. And uh, I, I'm sorry, Steve McQueen. Steve McQueen. Um, yeah. And then uh, that brings us to 1981. And... Uh, now I'm just going to talk a little bit about Raiders of the Lost Ark. So in the first movie, Raiders of the Lost Ark, we meet Indy while he's attempting to recover a golden idol from a heavily protected cave in South America, but his plans are thwarted when his rival, Belloc, along with a team of indigenous peoples, surround him and demand the idol. His escape from the cave famously features the giant aforementioned boulder that comes frighteningly close to squishing him, and that has been parodied in... Absolutely everything. I caught my child watching Muppet Babies the other day, and sure enough, there it was. Oh no! I, I it was funny because I thought about that. I showed Chloe on. I found on YouTube all the old mm, Muppet Babies, right. and uh, showed her showed her that, and I saw that, and I was like, "How did these Muppet Babies see Indiana Jones? That would have traumatized them." But the same I way I probably saw it for the first time. Uh, so. Oh, yeah. Anyway, uh, upon his return to the States, uh, Brody, who I mentioned before, presents him with the opportunity to travel to Egypt to find the Ark of the Covenant, which is believed to hold the original tablets on which the Ten Commandments are etched. Meanwhile, Belloc has been hired by the Nazis to also find the Ark, which makes things especially challenging for Indy. In order to find the burial site of the Ark, Indy must get a hold first of an amulet that not only contains instructions for finding the Ark, but is a tool 
on which the Ark's discovery relies. This amulet is an artifact that was once discovered by Abner Ravenwood, Indiana's mentor. And in order to get a hold of the amulet, Indiana Jones and the Nazis are all traveling to Nepal. Indiana Jones travels there and the Nazis kind of follow him. And in Nepal, uh, that's where Abner's daughter, Marion, with whom Indy had a romantic entanglement years before uh, when she was very considerably young. That's where she owns a bar. And Fifteen. Yeah. Yes. Not great. Not a good look. Not a good look, Indy. He's 10 years older than her. Yeah. So they, yeah, it's not good. It's really not good. <laughs> so Indy and Marion, uh, along with Indy's accomplice, Sala, eventually uncover the Ark, but Indy's finding is again taken by Belloc. And after Bella convinces the Nazis to open the Ark so that they can be sure that they're bringing Hitler the actual tablets, they all die horrible deaths brought on by the spirits that protect the Ark. Luckily, Indy and Marion kept their eyes shut and delivered the Ark to Indy's employers, the U.S. government, who then delivered the crate containing the Ark to a warehouse filled with similar crates and a perfect ending to an extremely enjoyable movie. Dan, anything to add? There's so much more that happens in this. Yeah, you know, I really don't don't think I I mean, of course we see uh we have Alfred Molina. Right? Mm-hmm. Pops up the, in the very famous beginning. You th- throw me the idol, I'll throw you the whip. Yeah. A very young so, Alfred Molina. A very young Alfred Alfred Molina. Got to say got to also throw in there how because we I know we mentioned Muppet Babies, but I think we cannot go without UHF. mentioning UHF yep. opening with with Weird Al in the Indiana Jones role and it just the whole almost the whole sequence is right oh is parody yeah totally I mean watching yeah. Raiders in that first scene where he has like the bag of sand and he's trying to like weigh it to kind of see that it's going to be the same weight as the idol. I mm. I expect him to toss this the bag to the side and just grab the idol. Right. But no, <laughs> that's what they do in UHF with the Oscar. <laughs> that's fantastic that it's an Oscar. Love oh, yeah. that. Such a right. great touch. So just uh, going back to, well, first of all, we didn't even mention, for anybody who doesn't know, Harrison Ford plays Indiana Jones. You never know who doesn't know these things. But right, you know, one yeah. of one of the many roles that really cemented him as like one of the most famous actors. Like between that, Star Wars, <laughs> Blade Runner, what? No, I'm just reminded of, and I don't. I could be totally, I could be totally wrong on this. Like my memory could just be, this could be incepted into my memory. But I seem to remember that when, uh, you were. Fairly young. So for those of you new to the podcast, John and I are brothers. It's true. I'm about five and a half years older. I remember John being at a, at a young age, but old enough to be in school. And I guess you had learned about fjords and uh-huh. that a ford across a river was like the same thing as a fjord. And you began, you insisted that Harrison Ford's name was actually no. pronounced Harrison Fjord. That is no? not true, and I remember this. No? I, okay. So we come from a town called Cranford. C-R-A-N-F-O-R-D. I know oh. that you know this. And we went to a a class trip to the Cranford Historical Society, 
where we oh, learned, the Josiah Crane? Oh. The Josiah Crane house. The, the where we learned yeah. about the okay. town's history, and there was a gentleman dressed up as the town's founder, Josiah Crane. Little did we know that morning that the man playing Josiah Crane was going to be overheated in his wool suit on a very hot day and passed out. Uh, so that is a true story. And anyway, we learned about... He wasn't just reenacting like something <laughs> yeah. that happened to Josiah Crane? So, uh, so, the, so we did learn that the town was named for Josiah Crane, and it was originally known as Crane's Fjord. And I brought that information home to which our brother Scott dickishly was commenting about how everything that was Ford would be Fjord. And that's where Harrison Fjord came from. That makes sense. I'm setting the record straight here. Okay. I did not know that there was believed that I thought that his name was Harrison Fjord. Well, like I said, I don't know if I, I sometimes I, some things I am very certain that I'm remembering correctly. You know, Dan, Others, I remember a lot so about much. that class trip because it's not every day that an old man dressed as a historical town figure collapses on your classmates. It's it's always fun when you when you can look at, at something that happened in life and see it as something that you would have seen in an Arrested Development episode. Oh, yeah. Oh, totally. <laughs> um, so, yes, Harrison <laughs> okay. Ford so, is yeah, Indiana anyway, Jones. Yeah. Karen Allen plays right, Marion Ravenwood. Who's, yeah, and she's Karen excellent. Allen. She's so good. Like, yeah, she's great. Yeah, very easy to like character. It starts off with her in a drinking contest with like a Nepal like townie and like totally drinking him, blowing him away in this drinking contest. Like, oh, she yeah. doesn't even, she's barely even falling over and this guy just collapses. Yeah. yeah. She fakes it. She, she fakes, fakes being it. drunk. Right. It's that's even better. Yeah. Yeah. She's just totally badass. I don't know. She's just extremely likable and you root for her and she kicks ass and mm-hmm. uh, she doesn't take any shit from Indiana Jones. No, she decks him. Oh yeah. This the Indiana Jones movies are filled with big swings, mm-hmm. heavy hits. I uh, <laughs> they're almost and I might have written this in one of my other synopses, but they're like action adventure farces where it's like silly things happen because of the enormity of the action. Right. Well, it's Indiana Jones so often, you know, will just kind of like fall into something or see or have this bewildered look on his face and 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 just you know, almost be befuddled in a moment before returning to the kicking ass. Oh yeah, totally. Yeah, it's it's a lot of fun to watch. It's there's something happening like in every frame of this movie. And yeah, it's it's one of the best movies for a reason. And now I'd like to fast forward to 1984 for Indiana Jones and the Temple of Doom. So this takes place. Oh, what's up? 
I've, I have a one more thing for oh, Raiders before on. we move on. Yeah. So first of all, another thing, uh, something that I remember from uh, being very young when Raiders of the Lost Ark was, I guess, was popular, was on, had come out on VHS. There were, and I guess people referred to it as Raiders. And I mm-hmm. remember other kids saying that, oh, there was a movie that came before it that was just called Raiders. Yeah. And that there was actually, there was like some imaginary prequel or like that Raiders of the Lost Ark was a sequel to some movie that had, that had already come out. And I mean, I remember looking for it. I remember going to the video store and, and looking for it. And I, I gave up at some point or I, I guess I figured it out, but did you hear about this at yeah. the Josiah Crane house? <laughs> right before he passed out. Yeah, right before. Totally are, passed out. That was what he was. That was what he was saying. He said, Raiders. <laughs> I was like, oh, it's just called Raiders? Yeah. What? But okay. uh, there is a movie that chronologically comes before Raiders of the Lost Ark, and that is Indiana Jones and the Temple of Doom, which takes place, I think, about a year or two before Raiders. And that makes this kind of among the first prequels, as we know, Butch and Sundance, the early days, is the probably first prequel. So this wasn't, you know, too long after. So this film begins with Indy and a uh, Shanghai crime boss named Lao Che attempting to trade the ashes of a Chinese emperor for a crazy big diamond. And Indy foolishly drinks a poisoned cocktail and is sent off into a farcical display of crazy antics to get the antidote, ultimately resulting in Indy and uh, Willie Scott, a famous, maybe not so much famous in America, but famous in Shanghai, uh, American performer who's starring at Lao Che's nightclub, Club Obi-Wan. Uh, as well as Indy's potential protege, Short Round. And they're escaping to a plane that is set to take them back home, but it turns out it's owned by Lao Che. And uh, the three of them escape the ultimately crashing plane by jumping out on an inflatable boat and find themselves face-to-face after they go through mountains and rivers and stuff. They're face-to-face with an Indian tribal elder who believes Indy was uh, brought there as a result of their prayers to help their community. And essentially, uh, a powerful stone was stolen from their community, uh, along with all of the children, and they are believed to be at a place called Pankot Palace, which used to be in... uh, uh, involved with rituals of human sacrifice, and it is believed that this is happening again. And uh, Indy, Willie, and Short Round head over to Pankot Palace and are warmly welcomed and treated to a highly offensive and racist dinner, but they are assured that no cult rituals are afoot, and after they, there's an attempt on Indy's life, the three discover a bug and booby trap filled passageway that takes them to a subterranean layer where they are in, there are indeed ritualistic human sacrifices. And it is also discovered that the children are all enslaved to mine for the remaining two out of the five total Sankara stones. And surely enough, Indy saves the day with the help of Willie and Short Round, and they return the stone and the children back to the village. Obviously, skipping over a ton of stuff, but that's the gist. Why are you laughing? Oh, I'm I'm laughing because uh, so I have recorded the intro to the episode, which John has not 
heard yet, oh, but I included, I quoted a review uh, from Mania.com that described this movie as batshit insane. Oh, yeah, totally. And I, I so heartily agree. The opening sequence might be my favorite opening. mm, Oh, tough, because Last Crusade's opening sequence is awesome. Yeah. But I love love the way it's shot. And actually, as I was watching it, I was watching the opening sequence, anything goes. Right. And I thought to myself, it was, I thought to myself, man, Steven Spielberg's West Side Story Eh. might be really good. It's something that I've kind of been skeptical about, Mm -hmm. but- I I felt like assuming that that he staged that musical number, I loved the way that he shot it. It well, looked so old school yeah. musical. It did not look like it was inside of a Chinese nightclub. No, I was gonna say that it's it clearly <laughs> took some creative liberties that make you kind of expand your imagination a little bit. Well, they get you ready for uh, surviving, uh, jumping out of a plane and going down rapids yeah. on a. Uh, flotation device right it's it is batshit crazy it's completely insane it is wildly racist and insensitive in the way that it portrays indians and people of um uh, i mean hindus is is a a big one so it's problematic for sure and it is known to be the darkest of all of them, you know, there's a lot of gore. There's a lot of really insensitive stuff that goes on. It it was written while George Lucas and Steven Spielberg were, were going through major breakups and divorces. So they were just in a mean-spirited place. And uh, it shows. I'm, there's literally hearts being ripped out. Yeah, yeah. Very yeah. much so. Hello, metaphor. So Indiana Jones and the Temple of Doom, as as I believe we've discussed on our Gremlins episode, uh-huh. Gremlins produced by Steven Spielberg, uh, which came out what, like a couple of weeks after Temple of Doom, along with Temple of Doom. So these two movies were rated PG because there was no PG-13 right. rating yeah. until these movies came along and parents were like taking because... I, parents were bringing their kids. Oh, it's PG. Right. Uh, and I guess, I mean, I don't know. Raiders of the Lost Ark is certainly like people's faces melt off at the end of yeah. that. So I, I I might retroactively Nazis throw that one a PG-13. Nazis' faces get melted off, Dan. It's oh, different. Oh, that's true. That's that's true. Yeah. No, very fine people on both sides. Uh, <laughs> yeah, right. Anyway, so uh, Temple of Doom, and I, I didn't see Temple of Doom in in the theater i remember when it was in the theater i don't necessarily know that i think i at that age and i was like six and a half i it it was it was gonna be a bit much i i did however have a storybook with a cassette it was a Mm read-along of Indiana Jones and the Temple of Doom. So you listen to the cassette and read and be like, turn the page at the sound of the chime. You know, reached into his chest. Yes. Yeah. No, I remember the Kalima chants. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. I listened to that a lot. So um, the Sankara stones or Shankara stones, depending on who's saying it, 
there like i said there's allegedly five of them the cult has uh the kalima cult has three of them and uh when they are brought together like so there are these smooth stones that have three lines on them and for that community it is believed to bring good fortune to them and when these three stones or when these stones are brought together the diamonds inside of them glow and uh, yeah that's when all of the crazy stuff happens <laughs> in the uh in the cult layer and for anybody who doesn't know in honor of dan and our brother scott and uh you know myself being the third i have a tattoo of the three shankara stones uh on my arm for you know to to symbolize my 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 brotherhood with with scott and dan and um felt like that was an appropriate symbol and it makes me smile when I see it because it's crazy. Absolutely. <laughs> Ab- absolutely. Yeah. You've got some crazy art. I do. I sure do. Yeah. So, Dan, do you have anything else to talk about with uh, Temple of Doom before I move on? No, Temple of Doom, only that uh, I remember loving the arcade game. I, and I think as problematic as it is, it has so many great sequences in it. Totally. The, the mine, the mine car. Oh yeah. Um, the, right. The, the, the whole, the opening number, like I said, with Lao Che, uh, we, we also have a Dan Aykroyd right. using a very, British accent cameo. It's very strange and brief, but he's the one who essentially organizes the plane that they're to take from Shanghai and uh, yeah. he's Indiana Jones's travel agent, pretty much, which I totally buy yeah. for him. That feels absolutely right. makes yeah makes sense. But yeah, no, that's it. So that's all I have to say about Temple of Doom. 1989. We now skip to the late 30s, but not before a quick jaunt in 1912, uh, when Indy was just a young scout with a thirst for justice. And while on a scout trip with his group, Indy stumbles upon a group of artifact thieves attempting to uncover the cross of coronado and indy who believes that it belongs in a museum takes it from the bandits and is chased along a circus train where indy eventually emerges victorious and heads back home only to be visited by the men he took the cross from in the first place uh it should be noted that 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 circus train is where he found his whip develops his scar and his fear of snakes. And uh, so he gets the Cross of Coronado taken from him, and uh, the leader of that gang dons a very familiar outfit, uh, and it is not only the inspiration for what Indiana Jones is famous for wearing, but it gives him the actual hat off of his head, which becomes the classic Indiana Jones hat. And um, he that guy just admires Indy's moxie. And he's not wrong. He totally has uh, moxie out the wazoo. So we cut back to 1938, where Indy is again taking the cross of Coronado from the the main guy who he stole from the first place. He's this guy in his white suit, very Belloc-ish attire, and a- again claiming that it belongs in a museum. And this is a very exciting moment on a boat in treacherous waters. It's kind of insane. And um, once he's back home, and he's approached by Marcus Brody, who alerts him to an opportunity 
to search for the Holy Grail, the chalice used by Jesus in the Last Supper and also held Jesus' blood during the crucifixion. And Indy questions why his father, who was always obsessed with finding the Grail, wasn't the one in search of it, but it turns out that he was the one looking for it and actually went missing. So Indy travels to Venice, Italy, to pick up where his dad left off with help from his dad's Grail diary that was mysteriously mailed back to Indy days earlier. And is he meets Elsa, who is his uh, kind of guide for all of this. And after he ends up stripping her, uh, he finds that his he finds his father, only to find out that Elsa is working for the Nazis and has also stripped his father. So the two Jones boys have quite the adventure, escaping from and then fighting Nazis on zeppelins, in cars, in tanks, and eventually find the place that holds and protects the Grail. And um, the man who's working with the Nazis is Walter Donovan. He's the guy who actually brings Indy on in the first place in order to get the Grail Diary. So Walter Donovan also gets there and he shoots Indy's dad, claiming that Indy would need to find the Grail as one who drinks water from it would find eternal life and would also likely heal his father's gunshot wound. So they all go in, and after incorrectly guessing which goblet is the Holy Grail, Donovan ages extremely rapidly and turns into a skeleton in an amazing moment. And um, he has indeed chosen poorly. So then Indy finds the cup of a carpenter, and it happens to be the correct one. His dad is saved. Hooray. So that is Last Crusade in brief, starring Sean Connery as Henry Jones Sr., Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um. So yeah, I was because I, I was I was thinking I was like Marcus does not I'd like because Indy gets like a basically approached by Donovan's goons, well, and dragged into this, and then he tells Marcus. Oh, that's right. Yeah, you're right. Yeah, yeah. He calls Marcus and is like, "Meet me over at Dad's house." Yeah, and Marcus is kind of a bumbling idiot in this one as opposed to raiders where he's i don't know pretty normal but he goes along on this one and he yeah kind of he's not things up but also in in raiders he he also really isn't the catalyst because it's because the government comes sure he's kind of indy yeah i don't know he kind of brokers the deal yeah yeah he does so uh yeah so We've got the three movies. It's so Temple of Doom is in 1935, Lost Ark is 1936, mm-hmm. and now this is 1938. This is when does he find time to teach? <laughs> I, I mean, these adventures don't. T- assuming that he doesn't have any adventures in be- in between, it, it seems to be like a weekend thing. Mm-hmm. I don't know. I mean, how long really is he in? In, is is he away? I mean, I mean, maybe he goes on break. Maybe he schedules his adventures around the school calendar. I would imagine. Although no, because no, because he goes in. It's in the middle of. He just teaches a class. You know, and, not not yeah, to no. uh, to jump ahead in our podcast too much, but uh, it'd be fun to see like the substitute teacher, <laughs> just like yeah. being in uh, Doctor Jones's <sighs> class. So he didn't leave a lesson plan. <laughs> I got called in last minute. I don't know what. As usual. I don't. Yeah, I get I get called in. I had plans. And next thing you know, it's, oh, Dr. Jones, 
jumped out his office window and yeah. has hasn't not been seen been, or heard from. Has not been seen. Oh, never. Wait, never mind. No, he's here. And what's he's the Holy Grail? Yeah. You've got the Holy Grail? <laughs> oh, oh, Indy. Uh, so, yeah, Indiana Jones and the Last Crusade was the first one that I saw in the theater. Right. At the Blue Star Shopping Center. I feel like I saw this in the theater, too. I remember it came out. I feel like I remember seeing it in the theater. So if you went, I remember, I, I you possibly we all went because da- I know, I remember I went with Dave Larson. Mm-hmm. So it's possible that we all went. Okay. I remember it was later in the, it was, I remember it was later in the summer. It wasn't playing around as much. Uh-huh. And I, cause I, I didn't end up going, it came out Memorial Day weekend in that year and Memorial Day weekend, 1989, grandma and grandpa okay. took, I went with them up to Boston because, uh, Michael, our cousin was playing in a soccer tournament up there. Oh. So I went with them up, up to Boston. It was a great trip, but I did not. See, stop at the ground round on your way, <laughs> catch any flicks. Yeah, I caught, caught, a little, <laughs> caught a few minutes of disorderlies, you know, trying to pop in at the right time. It's like, oh, it's disorderlies on HBO. Let's pop into the ground round for lunch, shall we? You get the popcorn, I'll get a front row seat. <laughs> Pay what you weigh, brother. <laughs> oh, yeah. So, no, but it was a great trip. I, I remember that much. And I, I remember I was really excited to see Last Crusade. When I finally saw, like, I had read the novelization. Mm. So, but I remember back then I could read the novelization of the movie, go see the movie, and be equally enthralled. Yeah. I mean, it's this one was, it's so thoroughly enjoyable from the beginning. You know, River Phoenix plays young Indiana Jones, and we've talked about him I, in so past good. episodes, but like, man, oh man, could have been so great. You know, to to see that career blossom. I feel like that was, and I feel like that was kind of the almost the reboot window for the Indiana Jones franchise. Right. Well, because you also had young, well, you had the young Indiana Jones uh, TV series. Yeah, we'll get to that in a few minutes. Around that but time. Yeah. Uh, what's also interesting is that this movie starts with a prequel and then flashes into the future, and it it kind of does the same thing that like a lot of prequels do now like the start like just thinking about like solo the star wars movie where it's like it explains things that you don't need to have explained to you so like in solo it explains why his name is solo and it explains why lando calrissian has capes and like all of these things that don't need to be explained are just explained so it's like this it's like it explains why he has a scar on his chin and how he got a whip to be his thing and developed his fear of snakes all within the same minute. All in one day. All in one All like, in one day. Minute. Well, and he gets the hat. And the hat. Yeah. So and the it, hat. it does that, but it for some reason it feels okay. I don't know if it's because it's embedded into a movie that is doing its own thing. Yes. In the future, but it it really gives you all of that information that you weren't really asking for. Well, plus that his name isn't Indiana. Yeah, how he got his name. That's another thing. Um, yeah, yeah, so Last Crusade, it was always my 
for a long time, especially up until 2008. But uh, it was for a while my least favorite of the three. Really? Yeah, because I think that Temple of Doom was one that I, I don't know, I felt more of a connection with it growing up. And I don't know why exactly. But then as I watched them again and again, Raiders clearly became the better movie to me and to mostly everybody. And then Last Crusade, I don't know if I just didn't like Sean Connery so much in it, but then just grew to appreciate him. Your eyes just got really wide. I was a kid. Bear with me. But like, <laughs> I I don't know. I started to appreciate it more. It's It just didn't work for me at the beginning, but then as I grew, it grew with me. So here we are. I have to say, Last Crusade for a long time was a close second mm-hmm. to Raiders for me. Raiders, I, I've gained more of an appreciation for Raiders and seen how, you know, Raiders is really a masterpiece. Yeah. And that's Raider, Raiders of the Lost Ark. I not mean, the prequel. Not, Raiders. Not, not the movie that came before Raiders. Right. Not, not the imaginary prequel. So... I, I I've always I loved Last Crusade. I loved the, the the script was great. The the wit of it, uh, the Sala like the way that they brought characters back mm-hmm. into it, like John Rhys Davies as Sala. Yeah, the way that and I I really I loved the chemistry. I thought the chemistry between Sean Connery and Harrison Ford was fantastic. Uh, and I some of the some of the moments in that movie are just iconic. I mean, choose like choose wisely. Mm-hmm. I used that today. Yeah. Well in school. It was a choose I on the board. You know, you can sit wherever you want today. Choose wisely. Uh, so like still use that today. Dan, there is a sketch, a, a comedy sketch video that's been online since videos were you know, maybe since YouTube started. And it was a group that I'm pretty sure you know called A Week of Kindness. Oh, yes. They did a sketch about that's the last scene of Last Crusade. And it is so funny. I want to put a link to that sketch if I can find it in the episode's description. I remember that. It's so good. They're all like choosing the different chalices and somebody picks up like a cereal bowl and he's just like no why like the the guardian of the grail is just like oh why and they keep on making the mistake and choosing the same wrong one it's not one of the bowls it's a holy grail oh grail thought you said bowl and all and then it just Mm -hmm. cuts to the guy aging all crazy and Turning into a skeleton. Oh wow! Yeah, I have not that sketch seen has that in stuck a long with me. time. That's how good it was. Yeah. Speaking of things being good, let's talk about something that isn't. Two thousand eight, <laughs> Indiana Jones and the Kingdom of the Crystal Skull. Uh, shall we? Oh, uh, we. I guess we have to. It's nineteen fifty-seven, and Indy has been. Ki- this is what you've all been waiting for. <laughs> and Indy has been kidnapped by <laughs> Russians to help them find a treasure within, turns out to be Area 51, a warehouse filled with 
wouldn't you know, crates containing all of the USA's most mysterious artifacts. Seems familiar, doesn't it? And he's looking for, uh, they're, they're making him find a, a, a mummified body that he was once working on or found. I can't remember the exact details. And uh, remembering that it has magnetic qualities, he uses gunpowder and shotgun shells to find the buried crate, which is actually so, kind of cool. If I may interject, mm-hmm. just because sure. it's, it's, it's fresh in my mind. Oh, okay. It, yeah, I, I took the pl- I took one for the team here and rewatched Crystal Skull. So uh, he was one of he was one of a few select uh, group of archaeologists that was brought in to Roswell. Oh, got it. Okay. After the crash, they never told him what he was looking at, mm-hmm. and like that's the whole thing. He he's going on about uh, I don't I don't know what it ever I don't know what it was. We yeah. were just asked to look at some stuff, and, right? Yeah. So yeah. Uh, but so anyway, he's on. he's there to find this thing. And then um, after escaping from the Soviets, uh, ends up in a nuclear test facility because they're in the middle of Nevada, like complete middle of nowhere. And during this nuclear bomb test, he escapes via lead-lined refrigerator, miraculously, and he encounters a... um, so after all that happens, he goes back and then to uh, to Marshall University, and he is in, um, met by a greaser named Mutt Williams, who has a letter for Jones from an old colleague named Oxley, and this leads them to Peru, where Oxley has been in a psychiatric facility, and I- I'm I'm really blasting through this one, so I'm leaving out a lot of specifics. So. Um, they find that he's been researching all these things about these crystal skulls and they go to where his notes say that they are, which is in Peru. Wait, no, that one is in somewhere in the Amazon. I think anyway, they find one of the crystal skulls that he had been written, that he had written about and it was in a heavily guarded ancient ruin. And uh, after Jones and Mutt are captured by the Soviets in the Amazon jungle, they are brought to a campsite where they find Oxley and Marion Ravenwood, who happens to be Mutt's father. And big surprise, Indy is the father. And <laughs> what? Just to clarify, Marion is Mutt's mother. Oh, did I not say father? father? I'm just reading this really fast, man. So yeah, Marion is Mutt's mother. Oh, <laughs> yeah. So then they're all on the hunt for the proper like resting spot of the crystal skull, and their journey takes them on like car crashes, flying through trees with monkeys, uh, avoiding crazy man-eating ants, and um, over over a series of waterfalls that ultimately brings them to their final destination. And then they reunite the skull with this like crazy crystal skeleton. The, and in this weird underground city that's completely bananas, but not surprising for an Indiana Jones movie. And when they reunite the skull with the skeleton, it forces the entire entire city to collapse. And then a flying saucer emerges. And uh, 
I don't know. The day is saved. Then uh, Indy and Marion get married, and there is a cheeseball moment when where Mutt almost puts on his hat, but then he doesn't because he sucks. Mutt is played by Shia LaBeouf. Karen Allen is back as Marion. Oh, and the Soviets are led by Kate Blanchett, who is uh, the saving grace of this. The movie. one saving grace of this movie. You know, as historically bad as this movie is there were some moments that i definitely appreciated and it was good to see harrison fjord in his uh 2008 condition like really giving it a go and and putting himself fully into it and there's like some really fun moments like there's this chase sequence that leads indy and mutt sliding through the like university library on a motorcycle and when they land everyone's like crowding around and one guy's just like um dr jones i had a question for you about the and it's just like that's a funny moment uh yeah there's a really cool moment when they're about to find the crystal skull for the first time and one of the people protecting it tries to like blow like a blow dart and Indy pops up and blows it back into the guy's throat. Like there's things like that, that just are very authentically Indiana Jones that makes it feel really fun and not complete garbage. But, uh, and then there's also this moment where they're in some sort of tent and Indiana Jones is like mostly backlit and you see the shadow like you see him and he's in the shadow of his head with the hat and it's a really like well put together scene so it's like it's not all bad like yes there are some laughable things that happen in it and most of it is completely unnecessary but having watched all of the movies kind of in rapid succession, it's like, there's a lot of things that make it still feel very much like an Indiana Jones movie. So I do appreciate it in that way. And great to see Karen Allen again. Yeah. Um, so kingdom of the crystal skull. (laughs) And I wish I remember, I remember, uh, so a couple of years ago I was with Scott in in New York, and we went to the the Tim Burton themed bar. I oh. forget what it's called. Okay. It was like Beetle Bar or something like that. And I remember we had a pretty lengthy conversation with the bartender about Kingdom of the Crystal Skull. Really? Where and he was he was singing its praises, and I wish I could. I remember him making sense somewhat, and I. And I like since then have kind of been like, oh, maybe I should give it another shot. So and I hadn't until until the other night. But uh, so with Kingdom of the Crystal Skull, uh, here's so first of all, I think that the the ending sequence really rips off like Raiders and Crusade. Because you have this moment where Kate Blanchett, like they put the crystal skull back on the alien body or they're from another dimension. It's so it's kind of vague the way that it's explained, Mm -hmm. because Oxley is the only one who knows anything. And then they're, they're like, where are they going? Are they going to space? And he's like, and he's like the space between spaces. Space between spaces. What the? 
And then they're like, what's that in the sky? It's a dimensional, interdimensional portal. So are they not aliens? They, so that was, that was strange. I had a problem with, and oh, so Kate Blanchett is, is standing there in the middle of all of the aliens and she's like, I want to know, I want to right. know everything. Oh, oh my yeah. God, she's so great in this role. And I mean, she's so great in every role, but in all the aliens, like, or they like combine into one alien and then they just like stare her in the eye and then like, she just like her face explodes. Yeah. And it felt like a combination between like, like you've chosen poorly and, and you've looked at the grail yeah, or you've looked in the ark. Right. So it, so th- that bothered me. It bothered me that I always felt so looking at Indiana Jones and Star Wars as kind of these not connected trilogies, but they're they're you know the the brain children of George Lucas. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Excuse me, and thinking of them, I always I felt like Star Wars was the was about you know the the mysteries the mystique of of space and uh m- more spirituality right with with the force and that indiana jones was about the the mystery and spirituality of earth sure like of our past it's almost like like yeah like star wars is this otherworldly thing. And Indiana Jones gives us otherworldly, but within our world and mm-hmm. within our, the mythology uh, of, of, of people from the, the Ark to the, to the grail, to the, uh, the, the Sankara stones. And then you've got the crystal skull and it, it, it's kind of this weird. And throughout the whole movie, it's like they, they make it so obvious that, it's aliens, but I feel right. like no one in the movie, like well, even the archaeologists. You also have to keep in mind that this takes place in fifty. Was it fifty seven, fifty eight? Where it's like, yeah, you know, people weren't talking 57. about aliens the way that they do. Even like that's when that's when things really got started. Was around that time, like a lot of the lore. I mean, there were. People who would talk about it were considered pretty much crazy at the time. Now, having worked, at, you know, at the Roswell crash site, Indiana Jones might have had a little bit more insight, and I'm sure that his curiosity would have led him to a few conclusions that you know. But um, so it's it's hard to yeah. say. I I also I for some for some reason there were sequences in in the movie. First of all, I just did the script, the dialogue. I, I there's a little like there's I don't like fan service. I mm-hmm. think that a movie, a movie, especially a movie that's part of a franchise that that's known for really strong storytelling, it should just tell its story without the nudge nudge wink wink to get the cheap like you know oh oh i get like at one point in kingdom of the crystal skull indy he indy says i have a bad feeling about this and i'm like is that a star wars that's like a star wars shout out 
Well, and I, it just, it, it came across as a little fan servicey. It felt like Harrison Ford in the role. And I love, I, I like no one else can do it. It's him. It's it. That's his role. But there is just, there is a part of me that I, I guess missed. There was something about the character that was missing. And I know it's not the youth because of course you can't expect that. Right. And I think it was just, I think it was in the writing. I don't think it was, it was Harrison Ford. Yeah. I, I, well, I think the writing was just very, it wasn't as quick witted. Right. No, I tried to watch it this time with a more open mind. And this is my, I've now seen it three times. Uh, but I tried to have a more open mind. And as I was watching the other movies, I was realizing like, there are so many things about the first three that take a lot of liberties with, you know, ghosts and spirits. And uh, I mean, uh, even Temple of Doom, of course, you have the the cult connection. And there's a lot about these movies that takes you beyond just archaeology. It's more visually spiritual than something like the Star Wars movies. And going into Crystal Skull with that in mind, it's like, well, maybe this isn't as far-fetched given what we've already seen within this world. So I just kind of watched it for really just what it was and didn't want it to be, I knew it wasn't going to be anything groundbreaking when I watched it this last time, but you know, it's like in Raiders when Marion is like, sees a bunch of skeletons, they all just start screaming at her. And it's like, that's, we have to, that that's telling us we have to just assume that what we're seeing is not a straightforward telling of a story. Like it's putting us into a completely different place. When we see the ghosts coming out of the ark, we know like, okay, this isn't just an archeologist trying to recover an artifact. There's way more to it in all of these movies. So this one goes to another dimension, to outer space, whatever. And that's just how it happened. And what are you going to do? I, well, I'm, that's kind of what I was wondering uh, was what would you have rather seen as a fourth Indiana Jones movie? Ooh. Well, before we go into our own thoughts, I want to give a quick overview of all the things that have been done. So just real quick, you had mentioned Star Wars. And uh, mm-hmm. and the connection between Indiana Jones and Han Solo. In 2004, there was a Dark Horse Comics story called Into the Great Unknown uh, that was in Star Wars Tales Volume 5. And according to Wikipedia, in this non-canon story, bringing together two of Harrison Ford's best-known roles, Indy and Short Round discover a crash-landed Millennium Falcon in the Pacific Northwest. Hey, that's where we are. Along with Han Solo's skeleton and the realization that a rumored nearby Sasquatch is in fact Chewbacca. So that is a thing that's out there. Holy cow, that's amazing. (laughs) I want it. So um, this also does mention that Indy 
appears in a series of Marvel comics. So let your mind go where your mind goes. Um, There, of course, were novelizations. There were some original novels. This I'm reading this from Wikipedia. So February 91 Mm -hmm. to February 99, 12 Indiana Jones-themed adult novels. I don't know exactly what it means by adult. Uh, were licensed by it Lucasfilm. It doesn't mean what you think it means. It. And uh, let's see. We've got a bunch of them. So they are Indiana Jones and the Peril at Delphi, Indiana Jones and the Dance of the Giants, Indiana Jones and the Seven Veils, Indiana Jones and the Genesis Deluge, Indiana Jones and the Unicorn's Legacy, Indiana Jones and the Interior World, Indiana Jones and the Sky Pirates, Indiana Jones and the White Witch, Indiana Jones and the Philosopher's Stone. Wasn't that the first uh, Harry Potter? That was the first Harry Potter, yeah. Sorcerer's Stone? So that was May of 95. Interesting. Indiana Jones and the Dinosaur Eggs. Indiana Jones and the Hollow Earth. Indiana Jones and the Secret of the Sphinx. And Indiana Jones and the Army of the Dead. Uh, Written by somebody named Steve Perry, who I don't think was in Journey. And then... We have oh Sherry, <laughs> and then as we mentioned, the Young Indiana Jones Chronicles, which stars Sean Patrick Flannery uh, as a powder powder uh, as a young Indiana Jones. So uh, that one didn't get it was it went from ninety two to ninety six. The ratings weren't good. It was very expensive, so it got canceled. But it was good show. Was it a good show? I'm sure I saw. I remember. It. I, yeah, I remember it being a good show. I mean, I you know, I, who knows how these things age, but I remember at the time when I was like the target audience for that show, I really liked it. So there were yeah a bunch of video games, including one that we had on Commodore sixty four. Was that a Temple of Doom tie in one? Oh, so we had we had the Temple of Doom game, and we also had the Last Crusade game. The Last oh, Crusade we? game was awesome. I just remember whipping things. Yeah, the last the, the Temple of Doom game was all right. It, it, the Commodore sixty four version wasn't as good as the arcade version, of course. but the Last Crusade game that I remember that being a a fun game. Yeah. yeah. Oh, and don't forget the uh, Indiana Jones stunt show. Didn't we see that at Disneyland? I, yeah. So there's in the, the summer of nineteen eighty seven. There's which I don't know if it's still. I don't think it's. Yeah, I think it might still be going on. So I worked on the show Trading Spaces, the home design reality series. Uh, and there was an episode called The Stuntman's Apprentice. And on that episode, it was a, a stuntman uh, who was in the uh, the Waterworld stunt show at Universal and was also the Indiana Jones in the Indiana Jones stunt show at Disney um and trading spaces with his uh, a younger stuntman that he was kind of taking under his wing so um yes i i at least 2008 that was that was still a thing the stunt show maybe um yeah. there was also the indiana jones ride at disneyland i can't speak for disney world i don't know for sure but disneyland which is a lot of mm-hmm. fun you're in a a mine car yeah, that makes sense. Makes a lot of sense. Yeah, there, there's boulders. There's everything. I'm, you know, and I, I left out. I do have. I do remember the circumstances under which I saw Kingdom of the. Just Crystal real quick. Skull. Yes, it was an arcade game. Go for it. I mean, not an arcade game. Pinball game. Oh yeah, uh, at least Indiana one pinball, pinball game. game. 
at least. I think there's one for each of the movies. Probably. Pinball's great. Yeah. Anyway, love Where Pinball. Where did you see... Did you see Crystal Skull? Yeah, Kingdom of the Crystal Skull. So... Saw Kingdom of the Crystal Skull the like that Thursday, like the real the opening yep. opening night uh, at the it was in New York, uh, just north of Union Square. There's a Lowe's theater over there, and uh, I want to say it's at like 19th and Sixth. Uh, anyway, we and we went to see it. It was like at 10 o'clock showing and it was the same night as the i guess it, it would be the first slice out hunger or it was okay. like the launch of scott's pizza tours okay so i yes if those are not familiar our brother scott is the owner and proprietor of scott's <laughs> pizza tours in new york city so it was it was after that and we were all and it was a lot of family there a lot of cousins and uh, you know, friends, people from Cranford, and I remember we, we were Fjord? all going to the movie. It Crane, yes, the Fjord of Crane, <laughs> yes. So, um, and Is that Josiah uh, Crane's Fjord, <laughs> go on. The one he, yeah, he passed out right over it. Uh, oh, bummer. So, <laughs> those suits, man. Uh, so, uh, and I guess I'm. Just, it's 2008, so I think I could probably tell this tell this story um so and i won't name names but i went on a little walk with two of our cousins one of whom one of whom had a marijuana cigarette a jazz cigarette and and a jazz cigarette yes and uh, of course it was like I remember it was it was windy and it was really tough for us to keep this going, but we were very committed. Uh, I and in hindsight wished had there had been more, but so so we did our thing and proceeded to go into the into the theater where everyone was sitting and one one of. Uh, one of, I guess, our friends, Scott's friends that that we all know, definitely. And but like our uncle, our, our uncles, our uncle, Uncle Gary was there, uh, mm-hmm. you know, sitting there. And I mean, at, and I guess at the time, you know, this it was a little awkward. But this one person kind of called out and goes, oh, "It smells like pot." <laughs> and and like as we are walking in to the row okay <laughs> and it's just like oh, shut up <laughs> and, um yeah it, unfortunately it wore off way too early into the yeah. movie and yeah by the i remember you describing last week uh, how everyone came in really excited and then everyone walked out very it was a real phantom menace situation uh it was indeed, although one person who I remember really enjoying Kingdom of the Crystal Skull, Scott. Oh, really? <laughs> yep. Dude loves Indiana Jones and aliens. I guess it's really his jam. Uh, <laughs> That's true, yeah. So, yeah, I mean, I saw it at an opening night at the Vista Theater in Los Angeles in the Los Feliz neighborhood, and that is a theater where, especially opening weekend, the 
um, the owner of the theater or manager, I don't know for sure, but he always dresses up as like the main character or something from whatever movie. So he's dressed as Indiana Jones there. I remember seeing my roommate at the time, Holly, and she was wearing like an Indiana Jones hat and man, everyone was so bummed <laughs> leaving that theater. It was childhoods were ruined. Childhoods, childhoods were ruined. Childhoods were ruined. So Dan, we're an hour and 20 minutes into this episode. Yeah. Yeah. So, so I, should we cut to the you, chase? Well, I guess this would be, th- this question would count as what would you have done instead of kingdom of the crystal skull or what would you do next? So Dan, what well, would and I do? guess, well, and I guess it, we should note that, uh, that the fifth Indiana Jones movie is scheduled for release in July right. of two, 2021 with Shia LaBeouf, not not coming mm-hmm. back. And but Harrison Fjord returning to the role, and it is. I can only imagine. But yep, yeah, and it is not a reboot, right? No, it is that was actually clarified. I think today I saw this news. It is a continuation. This is a sequel. So Mm -hmm. yeah, Kathleen Kennedy confirms not a reboot. So we're going to be in like what 1971. All right. So you asked John. What? Is there going to be an Easy Rider crossover? Are we going to see Wyatt and Billy? <laughs> I hadn't thought of that, no. Uh, but, Go on. Go ahead. Uh, yeah, you know, it's Indiana Jones ends up meeting this young single mother with this with this uh, a young <laughs> child that she had with Peter Fonda. Yeah. Uh, so my so here's my idea, and I was by the way I was thinking of like different ideas and different ways to go with characters, and I'm like I I think Abner Ravenwood, Marcus Brody, and Henry Jones and and Oxman were all together. Oxley, uh, Oxley, or maybe not Oxley, but I think the three of them were like all archaeologists together. So I was thinking oh, it would be fun to see like. Uh, you know, finally get to know Abner Ravenwood a little bit, but that's that's not my idea. My idea is this because clearly Indiana Jones is getting on in years, and not that that Harrison Ford can't can't handle it, but I'm trying to think of a of a reasonable setup, it it's entirely plausible that in all these years of occasionally teaching archaeology he may have inspired some students. So what if a student comes to him and is like, hey, remember this thing that you always talked about? And it was like rumor, some some type of artifact or something that Indiana Jones had always wanted, to, had always just was missing that one piece to the puzzle of how to get it. And this former student comes and is like, I think I got it. And... Now, because the, each of the Indiana Jones movies ends up taking Indy to a different continent, it usually focuses on one continent, Temple of Doom being Asia, um, uh, Crystal Skull being South America, or uh, Raiders, Raiders being Africa. Mm-hmm. So what? And what a great opportunity! And imagine, so you've got Indiana Jones, he, he's old, he's seeing America as it is in the late 60s, early 70s. 
And why not have him go to Australia? Okay. Why not have Indiana? Why not? Why Aboriginal lore and and you know, myth and artifacts? There's we don't really have adventure movies that explore that. They're they're always going whether it's to you know to the the Amazon. Or 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 you know down I the Nile, seen it, but I feel like it'd be a good opportunity to bring up Quigley Down Under, which is a western. Is it a More western? A western star, starring Tom Selleck, who was supposed to be Indiana Jones, supposed to be Indiana Jones, right? Yeah, no, I had to do Magnum PI. So I, I, and I don't know. Maybe it's you know this this student is of. Um, you know, ab- Aboriginal ancestry, and you could kind of take you could, so you could take Indiana Jones not only to Aust- Australia, but you could you could have him have to go go you know Tas- Tasmania, um, you know the the islands, but have Indiana Jones with this student and. You know, maybe this student kind of, you know, picks up the uh, the hat. You know, pick picks up the hat, picks up the you know, metaphorically. I don't, I, I really don't, don't think that. But you could almost build a new franchise, and especially look, you've got Disney owns, Disney owns Lucasfilm, so Disney is going to be making this, and Disney is all about promoting i i feel like disney has been a lot more focused on diversity in casting promoting strong uh female protagonists so how about a strong female protagonist of um you know aboriginal d- descent mm-hmm. who you know who says like hey i was i was back home and I, you know, was doing this and found this, and I think this could be the missing piece to whatever it is you're looking for. Do the research, fill in the blanks. Yeah, and then it's set in Australia. You get yourself a Hemsworth. You got it made. Well, and perhaps while Indiana Jones is adventuring as he's as he's you know on his quest he encounters perhaps a young mick dundee <laughs> i knew that dundee was coming into this and young einstein while we're throwing young Australia. Einstein. how did we see young einstein and think yeah of course einstein's australian what <laughs> well i mean indiana jones just needs to find some bubbles for his beer so who who else is he gonna go to <laughs> the guy who makes the parakeet dance i don't know um okay all right so you're going with the the protege not blood related no because it's it's the opportunity not to mention that you're you're moving forward in time so it's more plausible you're going to have more uh women in the field of archaeology uh, not to mention it's this era of civil rights, equal rights. So it's a great opportunity to kind of transfer this this role, this type of role to a, a, a young woman of color. Mm-hmm. Sure. Why I not? It. I dig it. Yeah. 
I don't know. That's what are you thinking, John? Well, I mean, it's something that you actually touched upon a little bit, but I would love to see like a I don't know, a series of movies about a younger Abner Ravenwood, perhaps with uh Marion's mother. Maybe the two of them are adventuring archaeologists. I think that it'd be a good opportunity to see a completely different era that we mm-hmm. don't really see a lot. Uh, you know, the turn of the 20th century. So, yeah, I think that that could be really cool. Maybe it involves, one of them could involve him finding the amulet that is featured in Raiders. Clearly, he'd be he'd be played by Oscar Isaac. I'm just saying that's what's happening. Would be Abner Ravenwood? Yeah, why not? Yeah, no, absolutely. Who would you, would you have uh, Henry Jones Sr.? Um... Yeah, because the two of them were colleagues, right? I'm trying to remember exactly. The two of them and and Brody. And Brody, right. Yeah, I mean, you'd have to have them involved. I don't know. Who would be who would be your Marcus Brody? Your your younger Marcus Brody. Well, assuming that they would be around the same age. I mean, I think that French Fry Phil said it earlier, Sam Rockwell. As Brody? Yeah. I mean, I guess, look, Sam Rockwell can do anything. So, yeah. Like, you said Sam Rockwell is Marion Ravenwood. And I'd be like, yeah, why not? Yeah, totally. Yeah. So, all right. Yeah. Sa- uh, Sam Rockwell as, as a young, as a young Brody. Abner, Abner, you really, I guess the only basis you have to go on is someone who could believably have fathered Karen Allen. Yeah. And then for, um, Henry Henry Jones like a James McAvoy. Yeah, I don't know what uh younger Scottish actors we have right now. Yeah, I don't yeah. Hmm. Good question. Yeah, I just don't know. But no. yeah, I I'd like to see some of those adventures at in a completely different era. I think that it's always good when you go back to a time when you know technology is almost non-existent mm-hmm. yeah or well rather the technology of the time is well very yeah. rudimentary so yeah. it's like the technology of the time was the the telephone right which i guess oh how times have changed <laughs> oh how times indeed have changed so yeah i mean that's what i've got nothing groundbreaking if you, our listeners, have any ideas yourselves, please email us ruinedchildhoodspot at gmail.com. Send us a voice memo. That would be great. We, we, we would absolutely love that. And let us know. We know, you know, Indiana Jones, these, these movies are, you know, they're a part of our cultural landscape. And if you're of our generation, it, it's definitely, or almost definitely something uh, from your upbringing. So if you have experiences, if you have uh, any stories you'd care to share, yeah, you know where to find us. Yeah, if an old historical reenactor has passed out in your general vicinity, let us know. Uh, I also want to put a call out there for um, anyone listening. In a few weeks, we're going to have a an episode where we're recording actually in person and with our brother Scott, and uh, we will be talking about the Pee Wee Herman universe. So I'm giving some advance notice on this one. If you have anything, please let us know. 
um, email us, send us a voice recording. We'd love to hear if you have anything. So this is giving you plenty of time to, to figure that one out. And, um, I think that, uh, now's a good opportunity to talk about our next episode. And, uh, I'm going to go for this one, Dan. Is that okay? Go for it, John. We talked about this one as being a possibility a few weeks ago. Didn't mention what it was. Ladies and gentlemen, we're going to talk about Who Framed Roger Rabbit. <laughs> yes, a uh, and a Steven Spielberg yeah. production. Right. Yes. So 1988, one of the most groundbreaking movies of the 80s. For sure. Absolutely. Fondly remembered by, by most. Wow, this is a long episode, Dan. We got to wrap it up. Well, John, it's Indiana Jones, okay? Yeah. So, <laughs> uh, yeah. Dan, pleasure as always. Likewise, John. I look forward to this every week. And until next time, good journey. Good journey, my friend. This is the story of Indiana Jones and the Temple of Doom. You can read along with me in your book. You will know it is time to turn the page when you hear the bullwhip crack like this. Let's begin now. Adventurer Indiana Jones normally didn't wear a tuxedo, but the Chinese gangster Lao Che had chosen a fancy Shanghai nightclub for their meeting. Lao's girlfriend, Willie Scott, eyed Jones with interest.